This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. Jared rolls to his right, still looking, throws downfield, incomplete. Lions come up empty, was looking for Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't regret those decisions. I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. Dan Campbell's going to replay those three fourth downs over and over again this offseason. Highlights there, courtesy of 97.1, the ticket in Detroit Lions Radio Network, along with Michelle Smallman, a.k.a. Shell to some, Chris <laughs> Canty, Topher, Topher Canty, Chris Topher Please Canty, don't. And Evan Cohen with you. Please don't. It is Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio and ESPNU, For presented the love by of God. Progressive there is Insurance. Nothing more anti who you are than Topher. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, let me give some background on this. Nuno, our producer, randomly called Michelle Shell during our commercial break. And I'm like, whoa, I've never heard that before. And you said people do call you that. Yeah. I said, it's, it's weird to so hear people friends. use the back half of a name as a nickname. There's an actor. Topher Grace, his name is Christopher, but he goes by Topher. Which is a choice. Right. Yeah. Your name is Christopher as well. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a Topher outside of that guy? No, no. And if somebody called me Topher, I would feel like I need to punch him in the mouth. Because <laughs> it like, was- it's just like, it's like it's, no, just call me Chris. People call me Canty. Some people call me CC. With all of those two syllables on the board, I just don't understand why you would choose Topher. As the one you want to roll with. It just Shell, what do you think? It just doesn't make any sense. It's so socially awkward. <laughs> but you, though, do not feel like a Topher. There no. are some Christophers out there that Topher probably fits them from a vibe standpoint. You are not a Topher. Dan Campbell, not a Daniel. Even though I'm, his name is probably Daniel. Dan is is what he is. And uh, yesterday, yeah, not ideal. Not ideal. No. As we uh, get ready for Super Bowl 58, Kansas City and San Francisco, a rematch from a few years ago. Kansas City going to their fourth Super Bowl in five years. Mahomes, just typical Mahomes. He's going to find a way to win football games when others do not find ways to win those games and take his team, regardless of who is around him, to the Super Bowl because that's where that man lives. And he has had the greatest start to a career of any player, maybe in sports history, any sport that you want to bring up, definitely in NFL history as it relates to specifics to the quarterback position. But the Lions are going to be reliving this one forever, 24-7 at the half. They lose this game 34-31 to the Niners. Brock Purdy with a tremendous second half, 13-16. 174 touchdown 49 yards on the ground those were the key yards for him but Dan Campbell had three different fourth downs that he did different things on of of the three and I'll give the details in a second CC and I'll just quickly which one jumps out at you the most the most like memorable fourth down decision that he made well you can't just boil it down to just one it's two right because they contradict one another Dan Campbell going for it in the third quarter on fourth down when he's got the ball in field goal range makes no sense right because after the 49ers score field goal on the opening drive of the second half you can come back and match those points and push it back to a three possession lead you decide that you want to go for it because you want to score a touchdown Yet you had an opportunity to make it a three-touchdown game right at the end of the first half. You got the ball on the three-yard line going in with 10 seconds left. If you wanted to go for it there and make it a three-touchdown game, you could have done it. But you decided to take the field goal, and yet in the third quarter, you said the field goal wasn't good enough, and you wanted a touchdown in that spot. So again, there's a contradiction in terms of Dan Dan Campbell's decision-making, his rationale, and that's the part that he's going to have a hard time squaring with his team this offseason. 
why decide to go for it in the third quarter after the 49ers get some momentum when you could have decided to go for it right before halftime and make it a three-touchdown lead rather than just settle it for a field goal and make it a 17-point lead? Yeah, if you were going to go for it, you would expect consistency across the board. But he's been doing that all season long. I gave the numbers earlier in the show. The Lions went for it on fourth down 34% of the time during the regular season. It's the highest rate of any team this century. So that was their calling card all season, and I guess he wanted to do it their way. But I but just why didn't he do it at the end of the I know, first half? I don't understand it either. And those those two decisions to go for it on fourth down in the second half, the analytics had a slight edge saying that if you went for it, it would pan out in a better fashion. But I still don't think that I would have had the guts to do it, knowing that you could potentially take the easy points when the Super Bowl is on the line. So let's play out another way of looking at this, though. I think we're all in agreement that at 27-24, late in this game, that they should have kicked a field goal to try to tie the game and just halt momentum any which way. Just basically restart it at 0-0. They didn't do that. Failed fourth down. I think we need to give two two sides of the ball credit slash blame. The Niners did then come back and score a touchdown, right? That's, there's no given in that spot that the Niners are actually going to make it a two-score lead, and they did come back and do that. And that obviously – Christian McCaffrey got hurt. He left the game. Elijah Mitchell came in and scored the touchdown. Purdy leads but that the one. He had already got the ball down there, though. It was, he had I understand, a big time run but he still was out. There. He still was out ultimately. Yeah. A seven-play, 70-yard drive over 430. So I think give credit to Brock Purdy and that offense and McCaffrey and company because of the fact that even though there was a failed fourth down, that doesn't guarantee you're going to score on the other side. That guarantees you get the ball and then give some blame to that Lions defense. Okay, we just failed on fourth down. This stinks. We blew a lead. They have a three-point lead. But if we stop them here with 7.32 to go, no harm, no foul. We get the ball back to try to win the game on one final drive. They didn't do that. And then they scored after that. But I think we've kind of ended the conversation in some ways because the egregious decision-making by Campbell after that failed fourth down, which ultimately the game was over. But it's not like both teams didn't have opportunities after that. The Niners did go on a seven-play, 70-yard drive, and then and the Lions didn't stop them in that spot. Yeah, but the Lions' defense was on the field for over 20 minutes in the second half. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the part where your offense has to play complementary football, and they didn't. And going for it in those situations and, you know, getting stopped gives momentum to the San Francisco 49ers' offense. I mean, that's the difference. You saw Dan Campbell panic in his decision-making. Kyle Shanahan didn't, and that opened the door for the 49ers to gain momentum and to build confidence. And as that lead starts to dwindle away in the second half, so too does the belief that the Lions had that they could go on the road in a shorter week for them because, remember, San Francisco had a rest advantage going up against a team that had more all-pros than you did, a team that was more than a touchdown favorite, and they could actually win that game. Like, that's the part when inexperience shows up, not just with the coaching staff, but with the players on the field, too. When things start to break the other team's way, can you make plays? Can you do things that are fundamental to the game to bring it back in your favor? And the Lions did everything but. And the play that perfectly encapsulates that was Jameer Gibbs fumbling the ball after the 49ers tied the game. Like, him having that fumble in that spot, like, that – that absolutely can't happen. Like, you gift them an opportunity to tie the game up right there. And I don't know why, on God's earth, Dan Campbell decides to call that trap play with Jameer Gibbs rather than David Montgomery, your bigger, more physical running back who gets the tough yards in between the tackles. Jameer Gibbs is more of a slasher. You've been killing him with the crack toss all game long. It just felt like that was the spot where you would want David Montgomery to run that play as opposed to Jameer Gibbs. I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, 
But again, as the head coach, you've got to put your players in position to do the things that they do really well. And in that spot, knowing how things were going against you, knowing that the 49ers have made it a one-possession game, you want to trust your more veteran players. And to go with the rookie, it just – again, I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to nitpick every single thing. But the Detroit Lions collapse was every bit as epic as the performance that we saw from Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers to win that football game. And that's exactly where I was going to go with this, CC, with what you were saying about inexperience showing itself in those moments when things aren't going right, which is why I give Brock, Brock Purdy all the credit in the world for having the composure to overcome not only the deficit, but his performance in the first half. Yeah. He was not great in the first half. No. And in the second half, he was able to step up, have that composure, and make the big plays when they mattered. Second half, 13 of 16 uh, completion percentage, 174 passing yards, 49 rushing yards. He had some major moments that shifted the outcome of this game. And we saw it the week prior with the Green Bay Packers. He was not great in the first half. When it mattered down the stretch, he stepped up in those moments. And I know a lot of people still don't want to give him the credit that he deserves because of the talent that surrounds him, because of his head coach and his scheme. But Brock Purdy was a difference maker yesterday. Yeah, the two quarterbacks that we're going to see in the Super Bowl can never be mentioned in the same sentence because nobody can be mentioned outside of Brady in the same sentence right now as Mahomes. Period. Next sentence. They both happen to have quarterbacks now, obviously Mahomes, but the Niners now have a quarterback that if you're down three late in the game, you think you can win. You think you can win. You do do not think you have a better quarterback than the guy across the way, but if you're down points, you believe you can win because great players that are tasked with winning find ways to win. It's cliche, but I like... What he did yesterday was, if your legs are better than your arms, use your legs. Not that difficult to think that, like when you simplify it. Kobe Bryant, Game 7, 2010 NBA Finals, had one of the worst shooting games he's ever had in his life. Had 15 rebounds. Just do something to contribute to winning. And Brock Purdy did that yesterday. You're uncomfortable with my Brock Purdy you comps. See, no, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with you bringing up Kobe Bryant and Brock Purdy in the same You sentence. get what I'm saying. I'm uncom- no, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just uncomfortable when we do that. Here's the thing. Brock was great last week down the stretch against the Green Bay Packers. He was great in the second half yesterday. The most impressive plays that he made were with, were with his legs. I mean, going back to after that fumble by Jameer Gibbs, you got uh, your team down seven, second and 11, inside the red zone, and, well, on the verge of the red zone, and Brock Purdy scrambles for 21 yards, gets the ball inside the five, you punch it in for a touchdown, you tie the game. So that was a big play. And then, of course, the 49ers up three, less than five minutes to go, third and four at midfield, and Brock Purdy takes off and scrambles for another 20 yards, and that essentially ices the game. It leads to uh, another touchdown to put them up 34-24. To me, those were the two back-breaking plays, and on the ladder, that third and four, the Detroit Lions had a defender right there to stop Brock Purdy. Alex Anzalone, the middle linebacker for the Detroit Lions, he was right there to make the play, and he took the angle, and Brock Purdy outran the angle. And that basically goes to show you what he was able to do in the second half, manipulating the pocket, knowing when to buy time, letting his receivers uncover, and when they couldn't, taking off and running the football. That type of poise in the noise in those circumstances mm-hmm. is why he deserves credit today. Again, sometimes you got to have luck baked into being good, and that would be how I would define the Brandon Ayuk play that got him down there to, uh, to get that first touchdown in the second half. But, I mean, Brock Purdy 
took advantage of the Detroit Lions leaving the door open, and you can't take that away from him. And now it sets the stage for Brock Purdy to do something that Josh Allen couldn't do this year, that Lamar Jackson couldn't do this year, and that Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't do with the 49ers four years ago, which is beat Patrick Mahomes when it matters the most in the postseason. And in this instance, we're talking about the Super Bowl. Help me understand something, because I know that you're not trying to, in any way, shape, or form, take shots at Purdy today. But I've made two comparisons that you sit back and say, "Ah, I'm not so sure about, right? Comparing the greatness to the Kobe game and then comparing the running to Lamar. Explain why you're not ready to to kind of dive over that hump Kobe Bryant is a top 10 player all time. No, no, I understand that. But I'm saying the the comparative of finding ways of winning and then running in a way that Lamar Kobe Bryant is a top 10 player of all time. So so right. So when your point is, if if anyone's making the comparison Purdy, to someone that is elite all time at their skills, you're not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to do that yet. No, in no. any in any capacity. No, no, no. Because here's the thing: I know when he's playing the Kansas City Chiefs, he's going up against that secondary, that defense. Steve Spagnuolo, one of the best big game defensive coordinators, and you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, who's on a trajectory to be the greatest quarterback of all time. I know they're not going to lose the game like the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions did the last two weeks. Right. I know that's not going to happen. So what happens now with Brock Purdy matches up against a team that's not going to have the self-inflicting wounds like the Green Bay Packers or the Detroit Lions? Teams that really are having their first foray into the postseason. Remember, the Packers were the youngest playoff roster to, to in, in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. The Detroit Lions have been awful for God knows how long. This is this core of players' first foray into the postseason. Like, the San Francisco 49ers still got 10 players on the roster from the Super Bowl they played in 2019. Yep. So they've got experience. Yes. There is a difference. So show me what you're made of, again, on a bigger stage against a more fundamentally sound team. I'm not trying to move the goalposts with Brock Purdy, but again, this game was checking a box. Show me you could do what Jimmy Garoppolo with Kyle Shanahan and some of the same players couldn't which is win the damn Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. Well, unfortunately for Lamar Jackson, he certainly did not win against Patrick Mahomes yesterday. Did his legacy take a hit? We'll get to that next on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Evan Canty and Michelle are Unsportsmanlike. Games 
where the teams are equally matched. Literally turn on somewhere between three to five plays. Lamar fires in the end zone. Nope. Shy of the end zone. Zay Flowers dives at the goal line. Ball comes loose. Under pressure hit. Ball is loose. And Kansas City recovers the ball at the 33-yard line. Lamar to throw. Looking to the right. Nothing there. Fires down the middle. Back in the end zone. And it's intercepted. If we wouldn't turn the ball over, we definitely would have had a shot. The amazing part about that interception... Mike Edwards left the game. Deion Bush comes in. He's the one that makes the interception. I'm not doubting Mike Edwards was hurt. There was a moment that I was sitting there wondering, are they just trying to slow down the momentum here with Baltimore and taking those injury timeouts that you're allowed to have outside of the two-minute warning there yesterday as Kansas City going back to the Super Bowl. Ravens Radio Network there along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. And this is going to be as much as it is about Mahomes and Reed's greatness, Mahomes in the all-time GOAT conversations, how great their defense was. Travis Kelsey, 11 targets, 11 receptions, them doing exactly what they need to do in this spot of, hey, you know what? Our wide receivers aren't great. Let's throw the ball to the tight ends a lot. Let's throw the ball to the running backs out of the backfield. Let's let Mahomes cook and manage the game in the way in which he did with his unbelievable all-time historical greatness. But this is going to turn to Lamar Jackson, who is likely going to win his second MVP and who yet again comes up short in the postseason. Lamar Jackson, there's a lengthy list of these guys, is now an all-time great regular season performer and an all-time underperformer in the postseason. There's no way around it. I love Lamar Jackson. I want him to win a Super Bowl one day. Right now, it's looking bleak. I I have a hard time pushing back on anything you're saying, but I will say he did score four touchdowns last week against the Houston Texans in the playoffs. Like, he... Like he's the reason why they lost this game. Like he's he like when we start outlining, you know, or we do the pie chart when we start assigning blame for why the Ravens lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Lamar is gonna have the biggest slice of the pie, right? Like it's on him. Like you you can't have a couple of turnovers, including an interception in the end zone. Your team can't be over in the red zone. You can't go one of six on third down and take two sacks, and you can't be seven to seventeen against the blitz in a season-low completion percentage against pressure. Those things can't happen. Not for a guy that seems poised to win his second MVP. Like a part of why we talk about the importance of the MVP and the individual accolade is because when you have those types of acknowledgments, those types of awards, you have the competitive greatness that allows your team to succeed in these pressure-packed moments. Competitive greatness, being at your best when your best is required, that was not Lamar Jackson yesterday. And you had everything working for you. You had a more talented team. You had a situation where you had a rest advantage because you played on a Saturday. The Chiefs played on a Sunday last week. I mean, you're at home. You've got to find a way to be able to get that done. And the fact that you came up short and it was your side of the ball that underperformed, Lamar Jackson absolutely has to wear that. He does. And with greatness comes expectations. And he's won one MVP. We're expecting he's going to win a second. And so we expect him to be able to take advantage of the path and the situation. The turnover is a problem. Lamar on third down, a problem. But there was also other things. We haven't really even talked today about the penalties. I still can't get over how much the Ravens hurt themselves in this game with the penalties. They were penalized eight times for 95 yards. Five of them, personal fouls or taunting calls, 75 yards just for those. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? They they were really putting themselves at a competitive disadvantage with stupid penalties. 
You yeah, also, I mean, I mean, think about it. The Kyle Van Noy personal foul and the Travis Jones personal foul. I think those came on the same drive, left to a field goal for the the Kansas City Chiefs. And then you had the Zay Flowers personal foul after the big play backs him up a little bit, and then a play later, you're talking about Zay Flowers fumbling the ball in the end zone. Yeah. So again, it's just when you start to look at those things, you're talking about a ten point swing in the game. Totally, that's the ball game. Totally, you know. And so when you make those types of mistakes. It shows a lack of poise, and you wouldn't expect that from a team that's quarterback from an MVP player like Lamar Jackson. Again, I, I hate doing this to Lamar, but that is a leadership moment in terms of calming everybody down. Like, at the quarterback position is a leadership position by nature, and when things start to go haywire, you want that guy to settle everything down. You want that guy to be a stabilizing force. Lamar was anything but that yesterday, and it only exacerbated the issue after you had the Zay Flowers fumble with Lamar turning around and turning it over again in the end zone by throwing that pick in the triple coverage trying to hit Isaiah Likely. Those types of plays can't happen. It's inexcusable. I don't care that Isaiah Likely threw up his hand and tried to get you to throw the ball. You can't throw that pass if you're Lamar Jackson, and he deserves all of the criticism coming his way today and for the remainder of the offseason. A lot of people talk about the middle four in the NFL, the final two minutes of the first half and the first two minutes of the second half. If you think about the final drive of the first half for Kansas City against Baltimore, the score was 17-7. Kansas City had the lead. They had the ball first and 10 at their own 11-yard line. They weren't trying to do anything. They were handing the ball off. Baltimore gets called for two penalties. Now, this drive resulted in no points, okay? And Kansas City ultimately got a call for penalties. But there was a chance that if Baltimore stuffed them, they could have had the ball back one more time before the end of the first half. These two penalties, dumb penalties, extended that drive early on where Kansas City's like, all right, well, if you're going to give us yards, we'll try to do something with it. Again, it resulted in no points, but it was an opportunity they could have gotten the ball back that they did not. So when you think about it, they had the strip sack, which was bad, obviously, the two penalties in the final drive of the first half, the Flowers taunting, which, again, they're right after each other, but the Flowers dive for the end zone doesn't happen if the taunting doesn't happen because you're too close to the end zone to have that moment. You wouldn't have had the room to actually do that. The play calling they had was different as a result of the yard line they were on, which was pushed back because of the taunting penalty, the bad interception by Lamar. These were dumb mistakes all throughout the game by Baltimore. Clearly not a dumb team, but had a dumb day yesterday. Oh, and by the way, you have Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, and Steve Spagnuolo waiting to take advantage of the of the deficit you're putting yourself in. Which I, st- again- I still don't understand that Travis Kelsey deal, though. I, if you're Mike McDonald, you let Travis Kelsey beat you the way he did in the first half? Nine catches for 96 yards and a touchdown in the first half? Come on, bruh. Like, you know that Patrick Mahomes wants to get him the ball. And you leave him singled up? I get it. Kyle Hamilton is all-world safety. I get it. But this is his first foray into a conference championship game. And he's going up against the greatest of all time. And I'm not just talking about Lamar Jackson. I mean, I'm not just talking about Patrick Mahomes. I'm also talking about Travis Kelsey. Right. Who passed Jerry Rice for receptions and tied him for touchdowns. Like, you, you, you can't allow that to happen. And, and, and Travis Kelsey... And, and and Patrick Mahomes being able to have a perfect 11 for 11, 11 targets, 11 catches, that is inexcusable. Rishi Rice, it was nine targets, eight catches. That can't happen. The two top targets for Kansas City were allowed free releases at the line of scrimmage. They didn't deny vertical entry. The, the defensive backs didn't jam Travis Kelsey or Rishi Rice at any point yesterday. I just don't understand how you let those guys waltz into your secondary and do damage the way that they did. 
Like, to me, that is absolutely egregious. And I get it. The defense shut the faucet off in the second half, no points. But by that time, the damage is done, and the offense couldn't do enough to be able to mount a comeback. One other guy I want to give credit to. He's been mentioned briefly today. Third and nine, Kansas City, 46-yard line. KC has the ball, 219 to go in the game. And Patrick Mahomes, and only the way that Patrick Mahomes could throw the ball, almost sidearm up in the air as if it's an over-the-shoulder to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, yep. who has been horrible. Uh, horrible. He's for, been the, the, the face of, of the drops this yes. season. And he had a phenomenal catch to close out the game. And we're showing it on ESPNU right now as he's falling backwards, catches it with his hands, bring it, brings it into his body, and lands on his back to make sure he catches it. The Chiefs wide receivers, rightfully so, have been maligned all year. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, because he has the best quarterback in the game, made an amazing catch yesterday. I just want to make sure we give him credit on that moment yesterday. Coming up, we will learn more about Baltimore and what's next for them from someone who played there for a long period of time. We'll check in with Torrey Smith. Former NFL wide receiver next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. We are on Sportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, with you here on ESPN Radio and ESPNU. Super Bowl 58 is set between San Francisco and Kansas City. A rematch from a few years ago. Patrick Mahomes goes back to a Super Bowl here. Fourth time in fifth years. Five years in the fifth year for Mahomes. Just ridiculous. And San Fran getting back to the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan for the second time. And joining us now, he is a two-time Super Bowl champ. He was a former teammate at CC's with the Ravens. It is Torrey Smith, wide receiver, a former wide receiver, of course, in the NFL, joining us here on Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Torrey, tell us how we should feel about Lamar Jackson today. Good morning, y'all. I mean, I still think you should feel the same way about Lamar Jackson. I don't think any one game uh, changes your opinion of him. I also feel like uh, there were some mistakes in that game that really were the difference in it. Um, uh, going back, and as Chris knows very well, you can look at a million and one different plays. There's never any one, but I think for this Baltimore team, there was a play where Zay was right at the goal line. It's a fumble. That's set, that's your seven points right there with Justin Tucker as your kicker, uh, which changed it. You had the interception Lamar threw at the end. That was a forced play. That was a mistake. But also at the same time, they had another turnover uh, with the offensive lineman and the defensive man went right around. I forgot the young man's name. Made a big-time play, forced fumble. So the difference in this game was really turnovers. Um, I think Lamar made plays when they needed him. It was a battle. I thought both teams played very well. But at the end of the day, 
it's not always about the team that plays the best. It's about the team that makes the least amount of mistakes. And in this case, I think the Chiefs played well, but I think the Baltimore Ravens also made some mistakes, which cost them the game. Tori, I know we're running out of adjectives to describe what Patrick Mahomes is doing right now, what his mm. career has been in his first six seasons as a starter. But, I mean, think about what he did last week against Josh Allen on the road, what he did this week against Lamar Jackson on the road. He's essentially peerless when it comes to, you know, his contemporaries, other guys playing the quarterback position. What's been the most impressive part about this playoff run for Patrick Mahomes? What, what, he, what we're seeing from him this year as opposed to years past? Man, because I think it's everything. I think he continues to get better and better. And I think when it's all said and done, we're going to talk about him as probably the best quarterback to ever play this game. The stuff that he does, you know, I feel like I watch Lamar each and every week being in Baltimore, and I see him do some things that you just don't see on film, right? But at the same time with Patrick, he plays his game in a whole different way where it's like he trains. It feels like he's transforming the game. It's almost like street ball to him at times. And the throws that he's able to make with his natural arm talent is just ridiculous. You're talking about a guy that, honestly, everyone feels like they want to have a quarterback that elevates everyone around him. And I feel like Pat is really the guy that does that, and you see it. Um, I was literally at a 7-on-7 a seven seven tournament yesterday with my boys down in Florida, and everyone was like, well, Patrick Mahomes has all of these great receivers, all these great receivers. I was like, wait, no one said that eight weeks ago, <laughs> right? I'm like, the guys are playing better. The guys are hot. And they are very talented players, so you never hear me disrespect them. But at the same time, they've all grown and got better in their role and more comfortable in their role as the season has gone on. But Patrick Mahomes has played the same even when they were struggling. There were plays that could have been made, but guys just didn't make them. And I think he's a guy that really transcends your team. And it's no surprise that he's sitting here for the fourth time in five years in that position in that big game. Tori, I want to talk about somebody who's on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to praise. Patrick Mahomes is considered the goat in waiting. Brock Purdy is, to some people, despite the success he's having, still Mr. Irrelevant. But he steps up when his team needs him to. We saw it in the second half again yesterday. What's your evaluation on what you're seeing from Brock Purdy as the quarterback of the 49ers? I mean, I think yesterday, for all the Brock Purdy haters, that was a, a he put on a show for them. I mean, they wanted to see him fight and claw back, and I think he did a great job of that. I feel like Brock Purdy is a is a victim of really, I don't think it's fair. I, I really view him as a victim. He really is Mr. Irrelevant to so many people because he's being punished for having weapons around him, for having an offensive coordinator that does a great job, that put, gets the ball out quick. Yesterday, he's made plays down the field. There's always this scheme, and he never gets credit for the way he actually plays. But I think for him to go out there and really help lead that team in the second half, I mean, he's going to be a 49ers legend for a long time, especially if he goes out here and gets it done, which I anticipate them doing in a couple, in a couple of weeks. But the reality of it is Brock Purdy has always been the underdog. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone's saying outside of that locker room. The guys in that locker room believe in him. The people in that organization believe in him from Jed York on down to every single person in that on that side. So it's going to be a great opportunity for him to continue to grow. And listen, you're talking about a guy two years in a row as the quarterback He's been in this championship game. He was hurt last year in Philadelphia, and that would have been a battle there. So I'm proud of him. I think he continues to beat the odds and does a great job ignoring a lot of the hate as well. We're talking with two-time Super Bowl champ wide receiver Torrey Smith here on Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. I want to go back to what you just said and lean into that a little bit further. Explain how you shed that victim label that you just gave Brock Purdy. How is he no longer in your mind a victim? Man, I I think uh, you just watch him play. Right at the end of the day, 
if I was a quarterback, especially the money he's going to be making in the next couple of years, is like, I wouldn't care what anyone says. Is your team winning? Like, why? Since when does it matter who you have? Your number one goal, you're being paid as a quarterback, and he's not there yet, but you want a franchise quarterback that gives you a chance to win. Just because your guy throws for 500 yards doesn't mean that's the best thing for your team. Is your team winning? Individual stats mean nothing. And I think Brock does a great job of controlling the game, especially when he's in rhythm. And that offense is going, and Christian McCaffrey is doing his thing, and Debo is doing his thing. That offense is at its best. So you want somebody that does have the ability to manage the game, to control it. And at the same time, you want a guy that can flip the switch. Hey, we're struggling. Defense can't stop anybody. The run game isn't working. We need someone that can throw us and will us down the field. And I think at this point, he's proven that he can do both. And it's probably about time that people stop acting like he doesn't have the ability to do it or punishing him for having a competent GM that put weapons around him to do their job. Tori, what did you make of the fourth down decisions for Dan Campbell yesterday? The one at the end of the first half where he decides to kick the field goal, and then, of course, the two in the second half that they don't convert uh, end up giving the ball back to the Niners. What did you make of those decisions? Man, I think it's it's the mentality that he has. You know, I honestly respect it because it's like, hey, that's what you have. That's what got you there, being aggressive, wanting and fighting and clawing that Detroit way. Then you live by and you die by it. I think it's very easy when you look at the score at the end, like, man, if you would have kicked those field goals, it would have been all right. right. But the reality of it is, is he didn't. And had he have gone on and able to score the touchdown, we wouldn't even be talking about it. So I remember Coach Harbaugh kind of went through the same thing uh, a few years ago. To me, I'm always like, hey, I'm super aggressive. I believe in our guys on the offensive line and our playmakers to go get it done. So I'm comfortable living by it and dying by it. And I know for some folks, they're like, man, I always take the points, but I'm not going to lie. When I play Madden, Chris, I'm going for it. Uh, but, but Tori, <laughs> I guess that's my question, though. If, if you always want to go for it, why not go for it on fourth and three from mm-hmm. the 49ers three-yard line at the end of the first half? You're up by two touchdowns. I mean, you could put mm-hmm. the nail in the coffin by taking the touchdown rather than settling for a field goal. I guess yeah. if you're going to settle for a field goal there, then why not take the field goal in the beginning of the third quarter after the 49ers score a field goal on their opening drive? I mean, I, I agree with you on that, man. When you, when you, Don't give me a lead. I'm telling you right now, if I was ever a coach, fans would hate me, right? If you give me a lead and I have a chance to press on you, I'm going to take every opportunity I have, especially with the momentum they had in that first half. And I do think that was a mistake to simply take them points. But mm, the reality okay. of it is you never you never really know until the end of the game. But to me, I would have been fine either way. But honestly, Chris, if it's me, I'm going for it. <laughs> Well, Tori, we want to get an early look at the Super Bowl matchup here now that we have you. 49ers, Chiefs, how do you think these two teams stack up against one another, and who do you think has the edge? I think it's going to be a great game. I think overall the 49ers have the better team, but I think when it boils down to it, there's a guy on the other side in Kansas City by the name of Patrick Mahomes that it doesn't matter what you do or what you have, that team is never going to be out of it. So I think it's going to be a great battle, and it's really going to boil down to the trenches. Um, which guy, which defensive line is going to be able to get after it? Because we've seen both quarterbacks struggle when they've had the opportunity to get to him. I remember, I just think back to the Super Bowl, and I'm watching the Ravens game. I was hoping that it was going to be able to happen as a Ravens fan, but the reality of it is it didn't. You have to be able to rush Patrick Mahomes with just four or your defensive line and then get to him. If you don't get to him without blitz, when you blitz, he's going to find the open man. But if you can rush him before and sink, similar to what Tampa did, a few years ago, then you can give them problems. 
I think the 49ers had the defensive line to get it done. But at the same time, this Kansas City Chiefs defensive line did a great job yesterday versus Lamar Jackson and keeping him in the pocket. So it's going to be a great matchup. I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to watching as an offensive guy is what Andy Reid schemes up with a couple of weeks of work and also what Kyle Shanahan does as well. There's so many playmakers on that field. It's going to be a great one to watch, and I will actually be in the stands to watch that one in person for sure. Well, enjoy that time in Vegas, Tori. We appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for a few minutes. Thank you. Appreciate y'all having me. All right, there is two-time Super Bowl champion, former wide receiver, Ravens, as well as the 49ers, amongst other teams there, Tory Smith, obviously with great information about the upcoming Super Bowl between the Niners and the Chiefs. Coming up, Canty's best bet, plus unsportsmanlike moment of the day. Next, unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. He survived a terrible, terrible moment in our history. The most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. That was terrible. Was not a great look. We are on Sportsman Like here on ESPN Radio, ESPNU. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hello, Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. CC has his best bet, courtesy of ESPN Bet, and then we will give you our unsportsmanlike moments of the day. All right, so we got a little three-leg parlay in the NBA tonight. We're going to go with the Celtics and Pelicans game. Celtics at home, the last game, they lost to the Clippers. The Celtics have not lost back-to-back games and since November 8th, and it's only happened once all season long. So the Celtics, usually a good bet coming off of an L. They're at home. Jason Tatum didn't play well against the Clips. I'm predicting a big night from him. So we're going to take the Celtics on the money line over the Pelicans and Tatum to go over 27.5 points. And then we're going to go to the Minnesota Timberwolves taking on the thin man, Chet Holgren, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we're going to fade Anthony Edwards. So we're going to take Anthony Edwards under 31.5 points. The Oklahoma City Thunder are a top five defense in the NBA. So we're going to fade Anthony Edwards tonight because he's going up against a really good defense and a team that's tied with the Timberwolves at the top of the Western Conference. So again, three-leg parlay, Anthony Edwards under 31.5 points, Jason Tatum over 27.5 points, and the Celtics on the money line over the Pelicans pays out at plus 204. Time now for the unsportsmanlike moments of the day. So, uh... We know, obviously, one of the great comebacks in the history of postseason football yesterday, right? We saw San Francisco coming back against the Detroit Lions down 24-7 at the half. Well, um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, not ideal because yesterday during the course of the game, he's a Lions defensive back. He started waving to the crowd by 
as a member of the Lions. Mm. They go, Jameer Gibbs has a touchdown run to go up 21, 21, 7 in this game. And CJ Gardner Johnson to the fans starts waving goodbye. Uh. Actually, let me correct myself at 20 to 7 pre, pre extra point, but waving goodbye when you lose the game. You want to talk about unsportsmanlike moments? You can't do that. That's a bad look. You cannot That's do that. That's a bad look. But I, I will be honest, in all fairness, I thought the game was over when they were up 24 to 7. I didn't think I didn't think there was a chance. I, I swear on my I didn't life think I thought, there was that, a I thought the Niners were going to win. I swear on my life I thought the Niners would come back and win. But even if you thought that as a player, you can't do that until you have it in the back. Nah, you can't cuz you know it's not going to age well. No. You know it's not going to age well. I just mm. You just wish that they could have any one of those decisions back, right? The fourth downs from Dan Campbell, any one of those decisions. Or Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble that ball after the 49ers score. Like, you just wish that they could have any one of those plays back and the complexion of the game in the second half is different, but it's not. And so you give credit where credit is due. The 49ers walk through the door. They're punching their ticket to the Super Bowl. But if Brock Birdie is taking them there, then the Lions help them pack the bags. Like, that's what happened. Like, it was an epic collapse and the 49ers took advantage of the mistakes. Two things can be true, and I think it bared itself out in the NFC Championship. Well, one guy we didn't see yesterday, we were praising the, the Niners, excuse me, the Chiefs wide receivers in the limited action that they had. One guy we didn't see was Kadarius Toney, who didn't play, was inactive yesterday, went on an entire Instagram ramp, ramp rant saying he's fine, he's healthy, he doesn't understand why he's not playing, that nothing's bothering him. You don't understand why you're not playing? You can't catch the football as a wide receiver. And at some point here, if you're the the Chiefs, I wonder how you're going to handle this the next couple of weeks is if he's going to go on IG and start ranting and raving, cut him. Cut him right now. I understand you want to protect yourself just in case, God forbid, somebody gets hurt in practice, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, my God, this guy's going anti-Chiefs as they're going to the Super Bowl. Kadarius, wake up. It's you. It's not them. Yeah, I mean, if you're always making excuses and it's always somebody else's fault, then people aren't going to like you. That's something that Bill Parcells used to always say. And in Kadarius Tony's uh, situation, it feels like this is true. I mean, he's complaining about the team's injury designation and saying that he's not actually hurt, and yet he's not playing and he's not traveling with the team. Oh, if God. you're a Giants fan, stop me if you heard this one before. <laughs> because those were the circumstances that opened the door for him to get traded mm-hmm. to the Chiefs. And the Giants took this guy with the first round pick and they only traded a third, they only got a third rounder in return for jettisoning him. Turns out the Giants were actually right. Kadarius Tony ain't that dude. Now he helped them last year when they won the Super Bowl. He, he stepped up big in that game. But in this instance, if he's gonna be a distraction, if he's gonna be, you know, creating extra noise around what's gonna happen in the next couple of weeks, then you have to entertain the possibility of cutting bait with him. And if you're Kadarius Tony, that is an expensive proposition because the winner of the Super Bowl gets paid a lot of money. Would you cut him, both of you, right now? Would you cut Kadarius Tony? Mm. You haven't cut him up until this point. You're at, you have two weeks where you want z- literally zero distractions. You know that better than obviously I anyone. Can't, I can't trust him on the field. That's yeah. the thing. That's why. But I now would, you can't trust him off the field. Well, that's the thing. If I can't trust you on the field, then why am I going to put you in so that Dunzo, spot? I'd be cut. done so. I'd be done Smalls? so. I'd cut bait with him. Um, to your point about just making sure maybe you have a breaking case of emergency option, that would be my only reason to pause on that. But I don't know why he thought that throwing a tantrum on social media would put him in a better favor with the Chiefs or in any way put him in a, a better position to play if he wanted to. And the Chiefs are like kind of 
covering for him a little bit. Like, because the real reason he's not playing is because he stinks. They're but saying my point, that he's banged is, my up. point is this, though. You're sitting here complaining. They, they, they are well within their rights to bench you because yeah. of the mistakes. You drop passes and you can't line up on side. Those are two things that are fundamental to the position. Yeah. Like, like, like Why would you think you should we be We can't playing? rely on you in the postseason going up against good teams. The margin for error is razor thin. Right. But here's the thing. You're still on the team. You're still getting checks. W- what are you doing? Like, your team is winning games. Like, that's the part of this that just screams selfishness. You're gonna, you could potentially get another Super Bowl ring. You could get another Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Why are you're you getting, distracting? You're getting paid during the playoff run. I mean, with each round of the playoffs, your check actually doubles. So, I mean, you, you have a chance if they win the Super Bowl to get an $80,000 $80, check. What are, you, what are you complaining about? And Super Bowl rings for, for players on the roster are not by choice. Everyone's getting one, right? Yeah, he's getting a Super Bowl ring. Right, it's if only they the win players the Super Bowl. he gets. It's only yeah. the players that were on the team previously, and then they decide Everybody on that. that's on the team gets a ring. Yeah. So right. he's jeopardizing this whole thing. Ridiculous. For, for what, though? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's not going to change how we look at him. No, he's going to be out of the league next year with this kind of behavior on and off the field. All right. Uh, Saturday night, we saw a gr- an unbelievable game on ABC. The Lakers beat the Warriors 145-144 in double overtime. LeBron and Steph going back and forth in this game. LeBron had 36, 20 boards, 12 assists, and Steph had 46 points in the game. But post-game, Steve Kerr, head coach of the Warriors, made sure that he's not going to get fined. Made sure to just kind of note. Sorry, you just made sure to note their their free throw attempts. Is that? I mean, they obviously are the more physical team. But did you feel like that's what tilted the game? I, I might comment on the uh, the free throws that they shot, but my mom is here right now, and I I want to be on my best behavior, so I'm I'm not going to uh, comment on the 43 free throws to our uh, 16. I'm not going to comment on Steph shooting three free throws in 43 minutes. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to comment on that. He's just well there done. so you don't get fined. Well done, Steve, Steve Kerr's the Kerr. best. I love that. Well done. <laughs> love that. And I will leave the unsportsmanlike moment of the day with something that it will ultimately, I think, be a bigger topic of conversation because it's going to happen again. Can Texas relax on the horns down Oh, thing? my gosh. Oh, my God. Again, over the weekend, BYU fans had the horns down on their, the shirts, I guess, and they had to, like, remove the shirts. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Horns down is not offensive, is it? To Texas? To, I don't care if they're offended. I'm saying it's not offensive to any. This is not like giving somebody the middle finger. Why to are Texas? We, it's ridiculous. But, the, but, that, but that's what it is, though. It's ridiculous. I just, just want to be clear. I just want to be clear. <laughs> As somebody that lived in that part of the country, when you do that, that is the equivalent of giving them the one-figure salute. Okay, but toughen up. This is sports. Again, should it be offensive then? No. This is one of the most ridiculous controversies. I don't know who's more ridiculous, Horns Down or Kadarius Tony. A tie. <laughs> Unsportsmanlike moment of the day. The obvious tie. Kadarius Tony and Horns Down. Greeny coming up next. <laughs> we are on to Tuesday on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.